Hi, welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And on this episode, once again, we are going to be talking about tools that will help us in our spiritual practices. This one has a fun name, hermeneutics. What is hermeneutics? We're going to define what this crazy word means, and we're going to talk about how to practice basic hermeneutics, something we can all do. Well, Kim, here we are again, fulfilling a promise we made at the beginning of this season to help people understand all the tools at their disposal when it comes to growing in the spiritual practices of prayer and reading scripture. So today we're going to be talking about a tool called hermeneutics. What is hermeneutics, Kim? The short definition is the art or science of interpretation. That's a great definition because interpretation of Scripture is really the sticking point. When we talk about Scripture, reading Scripture, I think one of the things we leave out is the assumptions and the filters that we all have when we are reading Scripture. I've been on this journey of following Jesus for over 30 years now, and it's really interesting to realize How many filters I have in place? How many assumptions I bring with me when I read scripture? Culturally, like just being from a Western civilization and the way we educate our children coming from that environment brings filters. Here's a great one. Here in the West, we hate not having answers. We're raised in an intellectual educational society that's really about knowledge, intellectual knowledge. We sit in classrooms and we learn information. There's many people who would say the reason the world is so messed up is because there's a lot of uneducated people. Like education is going to be the key to stop the evils in the world, while some of the most educated people are committing the worst crimes. That's a filter. Because of our perspective that head knowledge is important, when we hit something in our lives that we don't have answers for, we panic. First century Jewish culture, that culture looks at something they don't have answers for, and they get excited that they get to go on a journey with God to uncover the answers to the mystery. Whereas we see an unanswered question as some kind of character flaw or lack that we have. That's a lens. A man or woman can read scripture through different lenses, depending on our family background and how our parents treated us when we read about God. That creates certain lenses that can often be distortions. So hermeneutics is the art and the science of learning to interpret scripture in a way that helps us become aware of our own filters. Many people who are well-meaning, great Christ followers say that the Bible is God's word and we can trust that completely. I believe that. However, sometimes we don't equate our interpretation as an interpretation and we see it as scripture. And that's dangerous when we don't recognize that the way we're interpreting Scripture is not necessarily what the Scriptures are saying. So this is good. This is helpful. 
if nothing else, just to help us become aware of our, our interpretations or that we have them. And then be able to offer those to God in prayer and allow him to uh, help us know what is he really saying through the scriptures. So what are some of the things that hermeneutics offers us to help us interpret scripture more accurately or help us become aware of our interpretation issues? So part of what hermeneutics says is it helps us look at background information you talked about context, looking at the context of what is going on in the scripture passage you're looking at is something we often don't do. It's not like an automatic thing for us. And there's there's so much context because the idea is, yeah, this is scripture, it's God breathed, it's God's word. But while it was written for us, it wasn't written to us. And that's an important distinction that we frequently forget. So one of the first things we look at in hermeneutics is who wrote the book that we're that we're looking at, because that that matters. Like John writes totally different than Luke. You know, they're both part of the Gospels, but from a very different viewpoint. Gospels, you're talking about the different accounts of Jesus's life. Yeah. That can make a big difference just in terms of, you know, John takes kind of a more personal approach, whereas Luke coming from a doctor's point of view, the language is different. How they use language is very different. What they thought was important was very different, even though those are both accounts of Jesus' life, you know, including some of the same scenarios from different points of view. Yeah, I mean, Luke was also a non-Jew, and John was very much a Jew. So even that perspective right there, they look at Jesus and what he did through different lenses. Because Luke is not a Jew, and therefore a bit of an outsider, he highlights Jesus' interaction with women who were outsiders in this patriarchal society. He highlights non-Jews and those that were on the fringes of society. If you, if you look carefully at Luke's writing, he's, he's highlighting people that the others aren't necessarily highlighting. Yeah, that's another important thing that they talk about, like, cultural context matters a lot. What's the background of the author? You know, a Jew is going to have a whole different way of writing than than the non-Jews did because they had a different culture, even if they <laughs> grew up in the same area. So that's something to, to keep in mind. And when was the book written? You know, especially if we're talking Old Testament versus New Testament, what was going on in that time period? What would have been influencing what the author thought was important for you to know? Think of how much changes in just a short period of time in terms of what's important, what we know to be true, what words even mean can be very different. You know, when I was a little kid, sick meant, oh, you don't feel good. Then you take it to the 90s and early 2000s and sick meant, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Well, we use certain words now, and they have a certain meaning for us. That word back then could have a completely different meaning to the people when it was written. Oftentimes when we're reading scripture, that's not in our mind. We don't often realize, as we read scripture, that we're reading something that people wrote to other people thousands of years ago in the Near East. In a culture, in many ways, is very different from our 21st century culture and experiences, right? Yeah. 
you were talking about that whole head knowledge thing earlier, and I kept thinking that was one of the first things when I went to Youth with a Mission. The very first week, our base director was talking about the difference in worship and the difference in in learning and the different styles between East and West, because that was kind of like his what he was passionate about. And he's like, well, yeah, in the West, we think it's all head, head, head. If I know the information, that means I know it. Whereas in the East especially in the Jewish culture, you didn't know something until you had put it into practice and it had become an experience. So essentially where it had moved from head to heart. And so that's a big difference. You know, you'd never say, oh yeah, I know this if you hadn't done whatever that was. Like I wouldn't say, I know how to play the piano if all I've done is read five books. I say, I know how to play the piano if I'm physically capable of pushing the the keys and actually creating music that doesn't sound like a five-year-old. It's a very different way of thinking. Even in the last 30 years, language has shifted to the point where if you have an older person and a younger person talking, sometimes... There are misinterpretations, even offense given, unintentionally just because of how much the language has shifted. There are, you know, historical differences, cultural differences. We miss out on the beauty of scripture as a whole if we ignore and keep it only in our own safe experience. Okay, so we're talking about hermeneutics as a way for us to intentionally ask questions about the scriptures we're reading so that we have these different filters in place. So some of the questions are, who's the author? And what, what do I need to know about that author? At least some general ideas. Who's the audience that yeah. they're writing to? What was going on in the culture at the time? And why did they write this particular book? Those are some questions we can ask. Are there others? Yeah, it can be important to go, okay, well, what type of writing is this? Is this, like, if you're in Psalms, is it poetry and music? Is this, like, a story? Like, is this just supposed to be, you know, kind of, hey, this is your history or a parable? Are they meaning you to take what's going on literally? Or, you know, parables are allegories, you know? Mm-hmm. And honestly, even sometimes in the poetry and the songs, because a poet rarely says everything that they mean just in the words. It's meant to evoke thoughts and an emotional response in the person reading it. That's a huge part of why poetry can be a wonderful thing, is because it's never just about the surface words. It's about the emotion. Yeah. The emotion, what thoughts does it bring up for you? You know, what picture does it paint? depending on the type of poetry. Two people can read the same poem and come away with completely different experiences. Those are things to keep in mind when you're reading scripture. I mean, David wrote a lot of songs and a lot of poetry, and it's meant to be a place that reaches our heart. Just to give people an example, when it comes to the importance of understanding what the genre of writing is that you're reading through, there's a big difference between Psalms and, say, 1 Samuel. The book of Psalms is all poetry, and 1 Samuel is a historical recounting of the last prophet and the beginning of the kings in Israel's history. When a lot of people read the beginning of Genesis, they don't know they're reading poetry. 
the narrative stories in Genesis come later. So even in books of the Bible, there can be shifts between different genres. We look at the Psalms and we find truth David is is giving us through these songs, but knowing that their poetry helps you interpret them differently. And that's important to understand when you're looking at Genesis and understanding that the first couple chapters are poetry. There's truth there in the creation of, of everything. Not saying that there isn't, but the how it was created might not be the actual question we need to be asking as we read that. There may be other truths that God, through that poetry, is revealing. Knowing these things helps is ask better questions, and therefore, eventually, find better answers, which is what we love in the West. And when we have better answers, it helps us walk into better practices. Yeah, and then I think the one thing that we probably should point out is we also, as a society, have a tendency to like to pick and choose, to cherry pick, and just look at a few scriptures and maybe take that out of context from the whole. Because remember, it wasn't until like the 15th century, but thereabouts, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses. That's not that long ago in comparison to when the scriptures were written. Right. So look at the context of the verses that are surrounding what you're reading. Maybe, you know, the whole chapter, or if you have the time, the whole book. (laughs) Because they were written as one kind of concrete thought from start to finish. We're the ones that added in later chapters and verses and, and breaks. So really what you're saying is we have to be cognizant or careful as we're reading that these are arbitrary breaks that were not there when these writers wrote down their thoughts and their experiences and what God was showing them. Yeah, and that makes a huge difference. It's weird when you only read one chapter of a book out of context with everything else. It can be really hard to understand what the heck is going on. And I was guilty of that as a kid. You know, I need to know how this ends. Let me skip to the last chapter. (laughs) And then be very confused as to who's this person or what's going on here. But I still need to know that my characters that I care about are going to make it to the end. So let me confuse myself and then go back and finish the book. We can't do that with the scripture either because we frequently find ourselves interpreting things that may not be what the author intended because we're taking them out of place. We're only seeing a small portion of the picture, which we're really good at finite beings of seeing the small picture and not looking at the bigger story around it. Yeah, that's great. And there's another hermeneutic that's kind of like that, Mm. interpreting scripture with scripture. When we're confused by a a passage, and even when we've read it in the context of that whole chapter or even the whole book, it may still confuse us. So this is where it's good to go and find other scriptures that talk along the same lines that help fully realize the truth of this passage so that we could better understand what the author was trying to say. Yeah, even just making sure you go through the passage, maybe in multiple versions, to see where they've translated stuff differently. Because that can give you at least a better context of, maybe I want to look into that word more closely. Because it's been translated like three or four different ways. Which one's a little more accurate to the time period? 
And there's an important thing to keep in mind. We are interpreting ancient languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic in some, in some sections, especially Koine Greek, that's a dead language. We read the word love in the New Testament, and in the original language in Greek, there's like at least four different words that that could be that each define a certain idea of love, like Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love because the word comes from phileo, which means brotherly love. Or Then there's agape, which is, is a much more sacrificial, unconditional kind of love. But we only have one word for love, you know, and they had, in the Greek, they had different words to help define what kind of love they were talking about, and we missed that in the translation. Here's a classic example. When you read the passage where Jesus is restoring Peter in John chapter 21, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three different times. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. Jesus' word for love is agape. Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me sacrificially? Peter's response is, you know I love you in a brotherly kind of way. Wow, that opens up a whole different understanding of, of the dynamics of this conversation that's happening there that we may not see in English. So be aware that this is a translation and there's different versions in doing what you said. Reading it a few different times in different translations, which is what we do when we practice Lectio Divina, which we just talked about not too long ago on, on a, a more recent episode. That's important stuff. So what I hear in all of this, Kim, is practicing basic hermeneutics helps us reframe and understand how we're interpreting Scripture. It's a call to slow down. Yeah. It's not possible to do this fast. (laughs) A lot of the times that's God's call for us, especially for the Western world that constantly is trying to move on to the next thing and is concerned about a checklist. How much did I get done today? You know, you actually hear people practically bragging about how busy they are. And God says, be still and know that I am God. Well, you can't be moving 100 miles an hour and be still. And that's the beauty of this. It's not something that necessarily comes naturally to all of us, but it's another invitation to slow down and be still. And, you know, one of the things that we didn't talk about is pray. Make sure we're inviting God into the middle of this, because otherwise it's still just more head knowledge. And that's never the point. I don't remember who it was, so I can't quote them, but I will give them credit for me not saying this first. Sometimes we think the point of the Bible is, you know, to read it, to get through it. And they were saying the point of the Bible is to have it read you, to allow God to show you, hey, this is who I am. This is where you're out of alignment with me. Let me show you how to get back in line with who I am and who I say you are. I agree. One of my, uh, professors in Bible college. He was the only Greek and Hebrew scholar in the state where I was going to school. People would ask him, hey, Larry, what version of scripture would you recommend? And he's like, I have no idea. Because he read the original Hebrew and Greek when he sat down to do his devotions. 
I'll never forget what he said when I was taking Greek classes. If there's one thing that I want you to remember above all else in this class, it's this. I want you to slow down as you read scripture. He goes, there's a place for the Bible in a year, especially when you want to get the whole context. You want to see the big picture, and there's a, there's a place for that. There are seasons when it's helpful to do that, especially when you're younger in your faith and you don't know the whole story. I did that when I was younger in my faith. There's nothing wrong with that. But just like in nature, there's different seasons when it comes to your walk with Jesus. And Jesus goes at a much slower speed often than we do in our culture God meets us where we are and speaks softly like Elijah who went to listen to God and heard his voice only in a still small whisper. To hear a whisper means you got to slow down and get still. And so what I learned from Larry was these practices help us slow down and listen for that still small voice. Thank you so much for listening to this first part in which we've talked about the basic spiritual practices involved in hermeneutics. In the next episode, we will pick up the conversation, putting these spiritual practices in action on a specific scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. This particular passage is often very controversial within different church circles, So we're going to take a look at it through the lens of basic hermeneutics to see how they can help us maybe more accurately interpret this particular scripture. So please join us for the next episode. It's one you won't want to miss. In the meantime, if you have any questions for us, you need prayer, or you simply want to connect, you can find us on Facebook, or you can find our Life Hurts God Heals channel on YouTube. Those are both great places to connect with us. And until next time, as we always say, please remember from God's perspective, you are his beloved, so choose to be loved.